business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Welcome to the Agency Bud podcast. On the show, we talk to agency owners and business owners, CEOs, startup founders about their biggest challenges, what makes them tick, and how they got their agencies or businesses to scale and grow. Overcoming challenges, it's what we do. Let's find out about these business owners. You can follow along with every episode at podcast.agencybud.com. We'd love to have you on board. Agency Bud is the platform for delivering increased revenue to businesses and agencies. Find out more at agencybud.com. Let's go and meet our special guest for today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Today's special guest is the legend and the beauty behind the Twitter handle Anonymous Beard. He tweets about hockey, politics, humor, and video games, but rarely in the same tweet. He actually, taking that away, is the managing director of directiveconsulting.com with the head office out of California and offices all over the world. They are a pay-per-click and Google advertising specialist with uh, lead generation and business helping as their main thing. They're a, they describe themselves as a group of pay-per-click savants, creative masterminds, and uh, non-stop lead generation heroes. Today's special guest is none other than Jesse Silent. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me, man. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. And that is uh, the warmest welcome I think I've ever had. So I'll, it's I'll definitely it. deserved, man. It's definitely deserved. <laughs> now, you've, you're the managing director of, of uh, Directive Consulting, which, which is an incredible role to hold with the offices that you have all around the world. But mm-hmm. you started in video game design and editing. Is that right? So I started, uh, man, yeah. Where do I, I guess, where do people start, I guess? Uh, I, <laughs> you know, where I started getting a paycheck was, was definitely a retail, just kind of slaving away, selling people products and doing that whole thing, which I think a lot of people either kind of start in food or you start in retail, some sort of service thing. Um, but then I, I took, you know, a passion of mine, which is video games, and turned it into uh, another passion of mine, which is writing. So I was actually doing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, interviews, reviews, previews, uh, writing for gaming magazines. I was writing for MySpace for a while back when that was a thing. Um, just kind of doing the freelance writing gig and and turning that into, well, is there a way I can maybe get a game for free, you know, if I was yeah, going to yeah. review it? Or is there maybe I can get into this conference or something like that? So, yeah, just trying to find, you know, doing the hustle of how do I take the things that I love to do that I'm going to do already. I'm going to buy this game already. Is there a way I can maybe spin it so I can make a little cash off of it, you know, get a little extra uh, invitation? And that was... Yeah, I did that for about a decade. I mean, it was really uh, an awesome part of the, of the life, yeah. Fantastic. And how did you go from then? So, like, I, I've talked to a lot of people who've, who've uh, had great gaming channels and that kind of stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, review channels on, on YouTube and, and they tell a story where, you know, getting the, uh, one of the guys we interviewed, uh, Eric the Car Guy, actually had one of the car dealerships just roll a car up to his front oh, door man. and say, it's yours, man. He had, like, 2 million <laughs> YouTube subscribers just do a yep. review of the car for us. Um, so how did you go from there to to maximizing and optimizing pay-per-click marketing. Like that's a big jump for me. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I feel like the more and more I talk to marketers, I hear a similar story where they didn't go to school for marketing. They didn't know anyone in marketing. They didn't know anything about marketing and yet they somehow found themselves in marketing. Uh, I was very similar. I was doing retail for, for about 10 years. I had done one too many Black Fridays where I was just kind of done with it. And I'd always had this passion for numbers, analytics, data, things like that. But I never had a way to express that other than my own side projects and things like that. I had a friend who um, she was doing uh, creative directing at an agency, a small boutique ad agency. And I just said, hey, like, I'm willing to take a pay cut. I'm willing to try a brand new career. 
you really shouldn't hire me. I don't know anything about your space, but if you throw some spreadsheets in front of me, I promise you I can come up with something. And that intrigued the the president enough to, to give me a shot. And within a couple months, I found myself managing all of their pay-per-click stuff because uh, the president don't want to do it anymore. And I don't blame him. He should be doing other presidential stuff. And I kind of spun that into, well, what's SEO about? And I kind of, you know, self-taught going through the Google courses that they have out there, learning about PPC, learning about SEO. Uh, I already had a little bit of web dev background, just again, being nerdy and kind of figuring that stuff out. And yeah, after a while, uh, you know, I was at that agency for about two and a half years and, and came to have my own portfolio of accounts and supporting in a bunch of different areas. And I just really fell in love with, uh, you know, the idea of crafting that perfect message or, or just making that tweak or optimization. And, and every day you check in and the number goes up or the number goes down. I just, that, that, that's a very addicting feeling. It's a very thrilling experience. That, it's like uh, trading to this day. For, for clicks. Absolutely. I mean, it, you really do, you can really gamify, you know, these things in a way that works for you. It's like playing a game, right? The, you put more hours into it, you level up or you become a stronger character or whatever. It's very similar here. You put the hours into a, pay, a paid account, you put all this time and research and effort into it. And the next day you wake up and boom, there's your reward, right? You, you get something for it. So Fantastic. in this case, it just happens to be money <laughs> for people who are putting money into paid clicks. But yeah, it's, heck, been, it's been a cool heck of a reward. So yeah. Jesse, I'm fascinated because you mentioned that the more you talk to marketers, which I find, which I find interesting because everybody's in that space. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's two schools of thoughts and I was reading about this the other day, but the school of thought that marketing, um, we were talking to one of our previous guests, Sonny, was talking from a very creative perspective. So mm-hmm. Sonny's worked with um, Nike and Adidas on some of their big uh, advertising campaigns and Sonny was talking about that creative edge um, and he was saying, you know, his agency came up with the Stickman campaign and it was all about what can we do at a creative angle that has the cut through. And then the other school of thought is that marketing is more about the numbers and about mm-hmm. the statistics and about the analysis and the optimization. Um, where do those two things meet in your mind? Great question. I mean, you know, Mad Men would probably be a terrible TV show if you just watched Don Draper filing through papers for three hours. Right. Uh, but instead, you need the guy to come in to make the wild pitch to really be, get people sold on the dream and the vision, right? So that's what's cool about working at, at an agency is I work with extremely creative, visionary people who can come to a meeting and wow both myself and a client. Uh, and then we also have people, sometimes they're the same person, sometimes not, who can then follow up behind that and say, okay, that vision when put to reality resulted in this ROI and these numbers, whatever. And you do need both because the vision without the data, you're going to fall flat generally. And and the data without the vision, well, then where do we know where to go? Right. Um, so, so for us, it's, it's, it's about having a healthy balance as an executive team. And then on, you know, a specific accounts too. some accounts don't need a lot of creativity. They have an amazing brand. They've already done the research. They've already figured out their market. They need someone to just drive. Hey, get, get, we're at X. We need to be two or three X. Right. And that doesn't mean we need to start from the ground up and reinvent their messaging and other clients that that is what they need. They're stuck. They've been saying the same thing for 20 years. They're a legacy brand and they are maybe thinking about a new market or or talking to their market differently. And they do need that creative side. So it's cool that we can provide both, but you definitely need both, um, you know, in, in your holster for whichever one you need to pull out at whatever time. Which do you get more excited about? No, actually don't answer that question because I'm I'm sure you get excited (laughs) about all your clients. So let let me ask that in a different way. Um, How do you know, when you're sitting in a boardroom, uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, you've got an incredible team of creative people around. Mm-hmm. How, how do you know when a campaign is going to be a hit? Is it a gut feel or is it some sort of tangible magic that makes you go, well? Wow? Mm. Yeah, I guess it depends. It depends, which is every marketer's favorite two word saying. So I apologize. I <laughs> a few times, uh, a few times that and it should be tested. 
Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, definitely I've had those moments in a meeting where I'm like, man, that is it. These guys just solved this problem. I am so excited to get it going. And there's other times where that paired with some historic sort of historical data, if you can bring in historical data and context into that moment where you have that big pitch and that big vision, that's when the stars kind of align here. Like, Oh, we can definitely do this, right? This is definitely going to work. I think the vision, big picture stuff is a lot of, I think this will work. I hope this will work when, yeah, when layered with the, here's what we've done and here's what it's done. And here's where we think it'll go. If we make this tweak, that's when you get the big eyes, like let's pull the trigger right now. Let's pull this lever. I'm, I'm interested to know out of how many campaigns, that you put forward, how many wins versus how many lose? Like how many, how many hit it out of the park or in hockey terms, you know, how many hit the back of the net, (laughs) like how many hit the back of the net versus how many, you know, end up being a foul and like, okay, well that didn't play. Oh, it's not even close, man. It's a 99 to one on the, on the losses to the wins. It's, it's, Oh yeah. I think any marketer with their salt would, would freely admit that. And, and we tell people that up front. We tell people that in the sales process. I mean, if yeah. you're coming to an agency saying I need results within 30 days, well, something's happened. <laughs> something's happened to the point where you need that sort of immediacy. And there's something we should be telling you about our product. It, it would be, it'd be bad of us to walk into an engagement saying, Oh yeah, 30 days, no problem. Let's get this figured out. Right. We got to figure out your market, your messaging, your product, your value propositions, your competition, all these things. Right. So um, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going to fail. But the cool thing about failure is that if you're doing it right and you're tracking that failure along the way, there yeah. should be both. There should be a couple things happening. One, there should still be a small win one way or the other, right? Like, yeah, maybe, this campaign was a total bust, but we noticed via heat map data that they clicked on this button a ton of times. So this messaging right here is perfect. Okay, let's take that out. Let's extract that as a win. Everything else goes in the trash. So we do revision too. Let's put that button back in and pair it with this thing. Okay, that worked plus this other thing worked. The whole thing was trash. And as you do that and as you iterate, you'll eventually get to that win and then you'll eventually start humming at the pace that you want to. But yeah, you're going to crash way more than you're going to fly. Um, so that's an up. interesting point. But one of the things that you said there was was more, more I want to dig into a little bit more if it's possible. Mm-hmm. So out of the gate, like we're talking first iteration. Yeah. 99 yeah. How many can you how many can you turn around out of those 99 that mm-hmm. are like, oh, okay, well, like we just need to keep tweaking. We need to keep moving this forward. Yep. Here's a, here's a customer set of a hundred customers, 99 of the first iterations of the campaigns that you ran for them didn't hit, you know, big time, but how many yep. of those 99 then become something incredible over say the next two, three, six months yep. as you, as you're moving forward, tweaking, testing, changing a little bit. Yeah, good question again. So I think for the majority of those, you can still find success. The the nice. things that the, the intangibles um, that come up are things that are outside of your marketer's controls. And any CMO or marketer will tell you this, that, you know, if I get hired to take over a product that says we want to take down Nike and they make a shoe that's 10 times uglier and 10 times more expensive, I could be the most creative genius in the world and I'm probably not going to hit their goals, right? So there are things about their product, things about their pricing, things about their market that are outside of the marketer's controls that are going to always have an influence on results. Mm. But with iteration, you know, if, if those things aren't in your way, then you should absolutely be able to find success one way or the other. So um, turn those 99 into 90 wins and, and nine losses perhaps. I would love to. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so um, again, Jesse, if I can just dig in just a little bit, you, yeah. you know, again, talking about um, some of those things that are out of your control as you're looking at it, you are working with a new client. How often do you sit in that initial kind of let's get to know each other meeting mm-hmm. and walk out going, yeah, you know, this is not for us. 
Ooh, I don't know if I'd put a percentage on it, but definitely it happens. And, and yeah. when it does, we're pretty transparent about it. Like, yeah, like sure. it, it doesn't make sense for us to engage in a relationship that we know is probably not going to end well. And we've definitely gone the route of like, hey, we're not a great fit, but we know a couple agencies who might be, and here's why. Yeah. Um, we'd much rather that be the scenario than us taking someone's money and then three months later, everyone hates each other. And then you have this, you know, this poor experience with one another. Um, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, the, the nice thing about what we do at Directive is that we've been very clear with our own messaging about who we want to work with. Yeah. So because of that, if you come to our site and you don't necessarily see yourself in our logos, you don't see yourself in our messaging, the chances that you're going to fill out our form are probably pretty low because you're like, I don't know if I'm here just yet, or I don't focus on this area. They seem to focus on this area. And I think some agencies are, are pretty good about that. Like, hey, you know, if you're this, put your hands up. If not, maybe maybe try somebody else. So I think that part of it is we've done a really good job with our, our rebranding over the last couple of years to really focus on our own messaging. And then the second part of it is that they think that they do fit once we have that kind of discovery call. We like to know a few things about them. Like, what is your organization like? Like, what are you, what's the structure internally, right? Like, do you need us to drive everything? Do you have an internal team we can work with collaboratively? Um, you know, what is the, what does the past look like? What does the future look like? Like, we want to know a lot about who they are, at, both as a company and as marketers too. Like, we hold ourselves to very strict uh, kind of value props like, about ourselves, about our transparency, about how we work as human beings. And if we get the vibe in a lot of those early meetings that are the people that we're talking to don't necessarily hold our same values, that's really going to sway us heavily uh, on the final decision. Because at the end of the day, we want to make the decision working with them, not just them making the decision to work with us, right? Yeah, cool. It's a, it's a privilege to be in that spot. Not every agency can do that. So I don't want to act as if, you know, be choosy with every lead that comes yeah. through your door because I yeah. get it. At certain points, you just got to do what you can do. You need um, to, yeah. But at this point, I think it's really important for us to work with clients that we'd want to work with, you know, because we're proud of their name. We're proud of being, you know, associated with them. Nice. Very cool. So yeah. not- noticing that, as you said, you've really uh, niched down into what you do at Directive Consulting. Um, right. you've, been with, you've been with the team about three years. What's changed from a, as a managing director? Like you've come in with, mm-hmm. the, with the big hat on, right? And, and, and you've, you've taken over a, a, a creative organization that was already running, you know, three years in. Yep. You've, you've stepped in and said, okay, let's fine tune this. And you've grown along mm-hmm. the way. What's changed from where you took over to where you are now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot. I mean, we, we're, we're a very fast moving company. Uh, three years ago when I started as a PPC specialist, that's what my first role was. Um, I saw opportunity right away to potentially move into account management. Uh, from there to having some creative ideas on how to run account management, which were very well received. And that led me to running that team. And then, you know, that led me to running a bigger part of the team. And, and, and I've always just liked that ability to, to have the growth here. You know, like any good business person, if you make the case of why this makes business sense, then you're probably going to have a good you know, shot of, of doing that even internally. So the things I've seen change is, is one is really the niching. Three years ago when I joined, we knew what we wanted to do. And from a product perspective, we were niched down. SEO, PPC, design, basically it. Um, and we'll tell people, Hey, if you're looking for email marketing or direct mail, that's just not us. Like we'd love to do it, but we're only going to do what we're good at. We're not going to do what we're bad at. So we were getting there when I first started, we're a hundred percent there now. Um, and when we first started, we had a pretty wide collection uh, of clients and our goal was, you know, like a lot of agencies, get as many clients as you can really flex your muscles. 
And I think we've learned over the last three years that it's not about how many clients you work with. It's about which clients you work with. Mm. Um, and we've been a lot more selective about the verticals that we work with. So we primarily service uh, enterprise level clients in the SaaS space and the software as a service space. Um, so business B2B, that's really where we do best. And we do have some B2C clients and some e-commerce and things like that. We don't want to ignore those places completely, but we found that we have a lot of data, a lot of expertise in those areas. Something that three years ago, we were just starting to figure out. Now we've got it figured out and we've designed our internal marketing around it, our sales process around it, and our operations around it, right? Like how do we do SEO for B2B SaaS? It's a very different question than how do you do SEO? Yeah, um, absolutely. It, yeah. Yeah, so your skill sets can, can get more fine-tuned, more specialized in that specific vertical. And as you go in to the next pitch, you, you can take that credibility with you as you're as you're moving forward as well. Yeah, we get to show potential clients. Here's a dashboard of you know 50 software clients in, in North America. Here's what spend looks like over the last year. And here are these trends that we're seeing, right? Like that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and it shows a lot of confidence to prospective clients that these guys know what they're talking about. They're not just dipping their toe into the water here. They're the right person for us. And conversely, it tells people who we're not the best fit for, you know what? You guys aren't the best fit for us. Thank you for being transparent. We're going to try somebody else. And that's fine too. Makes it easier. So I'm looking, Jesse, you've got, uh, I think I'm counting about 25, 26 people on the About Us uh, page of of Directed. (laughs) How many many actually are there? Is there more than that? We need to refresh that page. Yeah, I think we're up to about 50 right now. Wow, fantastic. So what's the breakdown in terms of of marketing, sales, admin fulfillment? Like how many, how many in each team? Uh, I would say on the, on the actual product, on the, on the operations side is the majority, probably about two thirds. Yep. Um, there's probably about a little under a dozen of us on kind of the executive side. And then we do have a, a we actually just hired a director of sales to kind of rebuild our, our sales department a little bit, which is fantastic. A couple account executives, a couple people doing internal marketing. Um, what's kind of cool is some of the people who do our internal marketing are still people who do some of our client marketing. Mm. Uh, and it's really exciting because they get to kind of treat directive as a client. Like, hey, I'm learning this thing with this other client. I'm going to take it to directive and help fuel us. And conversely, um, because we we rolled out a couple of pieces of software ourselves. So we're learning a lot about how to market our own software um, that then we can then turn around and use for our team. So, yeah, it's a a pretty strong mix. But, you know, like I I think it's we've built it in a way that we have a lot of people doing the work. But we're also special in the sense that I'll pat myself on the back for it because I do think it is special. Our people who work on accounts only work on five at the most. Nice. And that in the agency space is kind of blasphemous. Like yeah, most absolutely. clients, most agencies are built one of two ways. It's either you have a hundred clients and 10 people and each person's working on 10 clients and they just can't get quality time to get their work done. Or they have 10 clients and a hundred people and that's okay. But if you lose one client, you got to lay off 10th of your staff. Yeah. Uh, and we don't want to be either one of those models. They just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. So we have it to where everybody gets, you know, at least a full day's worth of time and attention, no matter who they are. Um, and that's really been, uh, and again, it's a price of privilege. We had to, we had to work to get there, but now that we're there, we really feel like we're in a special spot. Nice. Really cool. Yeah. Did you plan that Jesse? Like, did you, did you and the other, the rest of the team sit down and say, this is what we want directive to look like in a few years time. Like, was that a deliberate oh, yeah. set of steps or did it just kind of accidentally happen? Absolutely. No, no, we have, uh, we definitely have the vision two year plan meetings, um, directors retreats to talk about the future of the company. We're very, we're very, um, what's the right word? We spend a lot of time and are very focused on where are we going to go? What's our vision? How do we get there? And then actually turning that into quarterly OKRs. What are we going to do as an operational team as an to actually get us to our vision? Mm. Um, it's important that you do that. I mean, otherwise you're going to fall behind. I think one thing we always tell ourselves is if we were starting an agency today from scratch, what would we do different? 
And if we can come up with a couple of things, why don't we start doing them now? Well, a great example is, is Slack. You know, Slack has become this, you know, ubiquitous uh, software that everybody uses. Good, good on them. <laughs> I wish I invested really early. Um, and, you know, that's the thing where most agencies would just ignore that. They would use it internally, but the idea of using it with your client was just like crazy. Like, why would you do that? They're going to bug you all hours of the night. It could be all these drawbacks. And we thought, well, if I was a scrappy young agency right now, I would absolutely do that and cut the, you know, the older competition out of the way and say, this is what people want. This is the modern era of communication. So we adopted Slack as a way to communicate with our clients. And we saw awesome results because people were, you know, you get that email in, you just see that subject line. You're like, oh boy, what's this all about, right? Like you, you just have that moment of anxiety. And that same question or, or, or conversation in a Slack channel, the, the stakes are just lowered. The, the, the tone is lowered. You can, you can get things done quicker. I can ask you for approval in a second across the world. Um, and that has become a really powerful thing. So that's just an example of like, yeah, nice. where do we want to go? How do we want to be better? Let's just do that now. Let's test that this quarter. Let's test that with a third of our clients and see how it works. I like it. I think that's a, a really amazing uh, way to think. So from a... Uh, let me let me go from a personal perspective like in a personal space i've i've learned from an entrepreneur in the same way you have you know getting started um, you did retail i did hospitality but you know getting started you find yourself into a space you find yourself into an entrepreneurial role um and and the next thing you know you have to step into a leadership so you 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 start yourself now the next thing you know you've got five people on the team you've taken that next step up which is now you've got 50, 60 people on the team and you've got other people at an executive level. How much of your day is spent at that exec level planning and strategizing for the team rather than uh, hands-on, you know, with the next Google campaign? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. We were talking about this as a team today about the, because I forget the guy who wrote the, the essay about the maker schedule versus the manager schedule. Mm. And that is, that's a reality is, is, you know, at the executive level, you can really break down your day hour by hour, half hour by half hour. You have an open spot. You don't have an open spot. If it's open, we can book a meeting. If not, we can't, right? But you do have to be mindful of, I need to take three hours at least to really come up and craft this strategy. It needs to be, you know, unbothered time. I'm muting Slack. I'm turning off my phone and take the time to do that. I think a lot of executives find themselves trying to balance that manager versus director uh, mm-hmm. thing, which is I'm a manager of people. I need to be in front of them as much as I can. I need to be able to get that feedback as much as I can and not taking the time to actually direct and lead and say, sorry guys, I'm shutting this. This is my time. And this, it's not just my time because I'm selfish. It's my time because I need to build the future for us. I need to figure out where we're going to go. Um, and I think as long as you have proactive communication, you can do that. But to answer your question, I think it's, it's, it depends, right? Every week is different. Yeah. Um, you know, when we have quarterly business reviews coming up in a couple of weeks, right now it's all hands on deck. Let's go into strategy, 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 strategy. Uh, when it's not, you know, it's maybe mid month, mid quarter, you can spend a little more time thinking of the future, thinking about where you want to go and things like that. So okay. it depends on where you are in the rhythm of things. So what would a normal day look like for you then, Jesse? Like, you know, taking, taking from a, are you a four in the morning kind of wake up guy or, you know, what, what, what's, a, what's a day in the life of Jesse these days? Oh man, I'm more of a 4am going to sleep guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So day, day in the life, if I'm working, you know, say eight to five, eight to six, uh, it, it's, it's really mostly meetings all day long. Uh, it, but I like the meetings that I have. I think a lot of people hate the meetings that they have. I'm in this cool spot where I'm, um, not necessarily the brains behind the PPC or the SEO side. We have really talented SEO directors, really talented PPC directors and leads, guys who just really, you know, guys, gals who really understand their craft really well. 
And I can play in there and I can hop in and give a cool idea here and there based on my experience. But where I really thrive and where I really enjoy what I do is really being a part of the human strategy. So mm-hmm. I'll get to know you, Walter. What, what are you all about? How many kids do you have? Where do you live? What's your favorite place to go eat? What's your birthday? What really matters to you? What does your boss care about? Um, you know, what are their KPIs? Where do they want to go? The more insight I can get from you on that stuff, the more insight I can bring to the team and say, okay, I get you're going to launch this PPC campaign and you're going to hit all these numbers and everyone's going to love it. But were you able to take down the one competitor that their CEO stays up all night thinking about? Yeah, right. I know who they are and I have an idea of how we're going to do that. Like that's just, I try to add that other human strategy element to the entire dynamic we have. So I get to have awesome conversations with our clients separate from our weekly and bi-weekly calls that say, Hey, let me just know what you're all about this quarter. You know, when you step into a boardroom, uh, a board meeting in two weeks, what's the thing they're going to grill you on? Cause I want to guarantee that our team is aligned with where you are. Nice. Um, things you, that the app, do you get a lot, yeah. Jesse? I do. That's, that's, I would say about half my job is just wow. really having Ooh. the client interface there. It's just an extra element because most agencies and, and most man- account managers, they just don't have the time to have that kind of conversation because they got to figure out the budgets. They got to figure out the ad creative and the yep. landing pages yep. and all that stuff. Right. So they're not necessarily even thinking about kind of that bigger picture stuff where I get to sit down with someone at the end of their day and say, Hey, you're a CMO. You have a boss who is expecting the world from you. You know, how do we do that? Where, where do we get? And then we come up with some cool stuff. I get to bring back the team and then we get to deliver it together. So that's where I spent a lot of my time and I love it. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I think the, um, the being able to deliver that at a personal level, like mm-hmm. as, as you said, so what, what's keeping you up at night? Let's yeah. help that. And, and, you know, we're not saying that you can come in with a silver bullet and say, now all your problems are gone away. But if the director of consulting team is aligned with your client in terms of, really what are they struggling with really what are they are they having a problem with you can align the campaign and at least the thinking in the same way so that your creative guys going into their into their you know drawing out kind of stage are, are thinking about their client from a personal level i think that's really really cool just absolutely and we've always said like we want to be the nordstrom of search we want to be the mckinsey of search we, we want to take things to a different level have exceptional customer service that you normally just don't expect from an agency nice um, and yeah that's that extra element where you know two agencies can come up with the same campaign but the one that tailored to your personal expectations beliefs fears goals is going to be the one who wins at the end of the day yeah very cool so let's um let's Let's take a what if scenario, Jesse. So now that you've had the the opportunity to work some, with some incredible people, you know, over there at Directive, you've got uh, guys like Garrett and Tanner who are who are at the, the top of the tree there. Uh, now that you've had the experience of working with these guys, let's take a what if. What if we took you out of Directive mm-hmm. Consulting, we dropped you in a foreign city with yep. no no Rolodex, okay, no no contacts that you've you've built up over these years. And, and we said to you, Jesse, start an agency. What would be your first five moves in that space? Oh, man. Do I have access to LinkedIn? Because that is definitely yeah. my first move. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. You know, LinkedIn is one of those, you can call it a necessary evil, but it really is such a lifeblood of definitely the marketing world, but the business world in general. I would definitely be looking at how many first and second contacts I have in whatever city I am. Uh, my second tool would be Twitter. I'd be on there immediately uh, with all the followers that I don't necessarily have, but that I, the people I follow uh, talking about what I can do in their city, what I, what I, you know, things like that. And then third would be businesses. So it'd be marketers, you know, marketers for the networking, marketers on Twitter for the community, and then businesses specifically as well. What is specific about this town, this country, this market? Um, you know, I'm not going to be the, the American who steps in and says, I think I have all the answers, uh, but I want to be the guy that says, I have you know, plenty of years of experience doing this before, and I'd love to know what I can do to help you guys out. So yeah, definitely leaning on the network. I think any marketer with their salt uh, should have 
have a network that is pretty strong uh, that can help them solve questions uh, and problems that they don't know the answer to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't know. Some marketers, I think, are going to give you the other answer uh, that you know they'll just figure it out and they're they're going to hustle twenty four seven and do all that kind of stuff. But I'm more on uh, you know work smarter, not harder. So yeah, what can nice. I do to, to, to lean on the community to uh, to get stuff done? I like it. I think that's very cool. So let me let me ask you this. Um, um, that's a that's a really cool answer, by the way. I like it, and I think that that's the the great way to start any project in terms of let's let's make some noise in the in the current little pond that we're in and yeah. and see what stirs up so that we can we can step in there. So now you're sitting with a client. Let's say that you've you've used that LinkedIn, you've you've hit those Twitter networks, you've you've uh, hit a couple of business local you know networking meetings or whatever. And you've met someone, you've handed over a business card. Here's somebody that runs a, you know, a, a great business. You know, they're a building company, whatever. They've got 10 employees. You're sitting down with them and they say to you, Jesse, I've never done any marketing before in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to get started. What's your conversation with that person? Like, how do you, how do you carry that forward? Yeah, that's a great question too. I mean, it had to come back to their goals. What are their goals? Like if, you know, back in my older agency days, a lot of the clients we worked with, they, they forever had relied on executive sales, right? They knew a guy who knew a guy, they went to a barbecue and they signed a deal. And that was like how they started their whole company. And that's incredible. It's a great story, <laughs> but it's not sustainable, right? Um, so you just have to figure out what their goals are. And if their goals are sustainable by executive sales and maybe one cold outreach person, then sure, you know, keep doing what you're doing. But if they want to go public, if they want to compete with X or Y, you know, Z competitor, uh, if they want to grow by X or Y percentage, then you got to start being serious about how you're actually going to bring people into your business. Um, you know, people don't think about marketing channels sometimes as this, this lifeblood. Maybe they have an old school mentality or again, they've, they've, they've fallen on success in one way or the other. So they just don't think of marketing as, as a necessary thing. Um, and we see it all the time with the certain clients. And that's why they hire CMOs because, you know, the CEO or the CTO or, the, you know, however that person came to be at the top of the organization, they, they never needed marketing to get where they got. Um, so the people who surround themselves, you know, like any good person should with people who know things that they don't know. And that CMO saying, we have to get into marketing. Um, and here's why I think that's where, where we can help out. Um, but yeah, it would start with their goals, just figuring out like where, where are they trying to go? How fast are they trying to grow? What does their market look like? Uh, and go from there. And at the end of it, if I say, you know what? Yeah, you're not ready. Um, which is some, some things we've had to say to some people. It's like, yeah, you know, we, we'd love to engage with you, but who's going to work with us on a biweekly basis. You are the CEO who has, a thousand other things to do. Like, I don't think you are. And I want to save you from the inevitable conversation where you're saying, I like what you're doing guys, but I don't have time I can't to handle fulfill, it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I say, okay, come back when you've hired a CMO, come back when you have a salesperson to actually follow up on the leads we're going to be driving from, for you. Uh, come back when you've, you know, uh, figured out a developer thing, because we're going to want to launch some new, any pages and things like that. Like there's an infrastructure to marketing that a lot of people don't think about. Uh, and they just think, oh, I'm going to hire an agency or I'm going to hire a person in-house and they're just going to go. And, you know, there's, there's extra cost, there's extra time, there's extra thought process that goes into actually making it work right. I agree with you. And I think the, um, uh, you just laid out the, uh, a great kind of strategy for a business plan. You need a, you need a salesperson who's going to follow up on the leads. You know, I love that statistic from Forbes that says 96% of leads never even get followed up on, which is oh, yeah. just unbelievably shocking considering how much time and money we spend chasing those or trying to generate those leads. So you need someone who's going to follow up on the leads. You need someone who's going to be able to take directive and, and, uh, and implement it. You need, you know, certain things in place that, uh, that are going to work. Jesse, from, from your perspective and being the analytics guy, mm-hmm. what I come across a lot of times with business is people say to me, 
they have that whole crossing the chasm thing. You, I don't know if you've read that book, but mm-hmm. you know where you get to the point where I'm so busy that I need another staff member. But I yep. can't put another staff member on because I haven't got enough revenue to pay the staff. You know, so there's always that kind of small business, and yep. I see it typically around the the three staff members to up to ten. Like at, at, once you get past ten, you know, you're on a growth pattern, and and you can hire yep. to perform. In your opinion, and working with business and seeing companies growing through different stages as you've done, when is the right time to bring the next person on? Mm. I think, again, it depends on your product, but that's a big part of it is if you don't have your product, your pricing, your market, and you don't necessarily have to have your messaging, but you have to at least figure out, okay, what am I actually bringing to the table? Like what, what, what is, what makes my product or service so different, special, awesome compared to the rest of the market? If you don't have that part figured out yet, you can't, you can't even start thinking about marketing yet because the marketing team is just going to come back to you and say, well, we can't win these battles because we don't do this fast enough or we're not this cheap or our scope doesn't do this. So you got to figure out your product first and foremost, and then you got to figure out your market, which I know it sounds like, why would you figure out your market before your marketing? But really you got to figure out like, who are we actually going to be targeting? Like, who is this for, right? Like if you're in the, if you're in the SaaS space for security, are you going after the CTO? Are you going after the the developer who's actually doing it? Those are vastly different targets, vastly different conversations you're trying to have. Um, so I would say product and brand first. Brand is another big one that people don't think about. Um, they they assume maybe that the, the strength of their product should just be everything, when in reality, people are reviewing you online for who you are as a company, as a brand, right? We've seen brands get taken down with one poor public comment and things like that. They might still love the product, but now the company is you know, forever ashamed because of, of some way they've represented themselves as a brand. So brand and product, I think, are probably where you need to start first uh, before you think about what the marketing team is going to do because the marketing team is only going to be as strong you know can only be as strong as the product that it's actually trying to market and the market it's trying to market to um so you got to have those two things kind of dialed in before you start thinking about marketing nice so so let's let's take a let's take a i, I used to have a 60 second challenge i'd like to bounce that back off you so the 60 nice. second challenge goes like this somebody you haven't seen in uh, in, in in a long time uh, you catch up with them for a coffee or a beer or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, they say to you, Jesse, um, I've got this, I've, I've just, I've started my own thing. Mm-hmm. And they've got a company. So they've, you know, they've defined their customer. Mm-hmm. They've, they've made some sales. They're pretty amazed by the fact that what they thought of is, is real and is taking shape. And they say to you, how am I going to grow this thing, Jesse? Like, what do I do now? I, I've, I've done my, uh, I've done my market research. I've got my product to a to an acceptable level. I, I've got traction, you know, customers real. But I have no idea how I'm going to make this thing go boom and turn it into the next unicorn. Um, yeah. Sixty seconds. What's your what's your thoughts for that person? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is prove it. Prove the the fact that you got all those things down because I doubt it. <laughs> and within you trying to prove it to me, I'm going to find out the areas that we need to double down on. So if it's paid, right, if, if that's an area that we can maybe help you out, something called impression share. How often do you show up when someone searches for your product or solution? If you're not at 100% for the right market that you need to be in, that's where you can grow. Um, that's a big one. If I search for you in Google, right, that's where we all live and, and play is Google. If I search for your product solution, how many times do you show up? There's, you know, potential four ad spots up at the top. There's 10 organic listings. Um, are you on those 10 organic listings at all? 
Uh, if you are, how high? If you're, if you are, but I have to kind of dig for you, why? Is there a way that we can get up higher? Um, I, you know, even the the biggest, boldest, baddest band, brands we work with, the biggest budgets still don't have that domination because that domination is extremely difficult to have. That's the way Google builds it, right? They want to they want to take your money for that domination, but there's also just a part of the game that requires some nuance. You have to think of, you know, every keyword is a sales channel. So you might think of, you know, uh, some sort of software versus some sort of tool. And those two search result pages are vastly different for whatever reason. How are you showing up for software? Are you showing up just as much as you are for tool? Um, all those things would come into to my feedback to this person is if you think you've really, you know, done a lot and you want to grow the next spot with some other big thing, I would challenge the idea that you've really got to figure it out where you are right now. We can probably grow with him then. And then figure out the next thing. And maybe that's a product iteration. Maybe that's a, uh, a way to talk to a different market that we've never talked to before. Um, but we still got to, you know, there's a lot of room, I think, on stage one where a lot of people are still, they still have room to grow there. I like the concept of, of uh, how many times do you show up? And, and especially when we're talking about SEO, we're talking about making sure you have that domination in the world's biggest search platforms with, within yep. Google. Um, how active should any business be in terms of content generation? Oh man, uh, a ton. I mean, it, it, it's, here's the thing. Google, it, we've always held this philosophy. Google does not rank websites. It ranks web pages. So if you want to rank for best CRM software, right? Uh, g- good luck showing up on the top 10 because what Google has shown is that users actually don't care about one product. They don't want to just see the self-proclaimed best CRM. They would love to see a list of 50 CRMs that are all ranked by, you know, uh, price and, and capabilities and integrations and things like that, right? Uh, on the flip side, if you can provide a piece of content then that maybe rounds up the top 15 in your opinion, whatever, you're probably going to do a lot better than if you say, hey, look at us, we're the best CRM in the industry. Um, content is huge and especially not just content itself, but knowing just like we talked about before, knowing who this content is designed for from a persona stage, but also the buying stage, right? Some, some customers might be ready for the what is piece of content. I'm, I'm just kind of dipping my toe in the water of what your universe is, right? But some people might be ready for the this versus this type of content. There may be more a little bit of the middle. And then finally, we have like the ultimate value or like really go to more of the value prop type piece of content. Content generation is huge. I mean, it's in the, to put it bluntly in the SEO world, you cannot expect new traffic if you don't provide new content. That's just, that's just it. People are going to eventually run out. They're, people are going to stop finding your old content. Your old content will eventually fade away. Um, so you constantly have to be generating new content and it has to be targeted. We, we've seen a lot of people who are great at the generation part. Every week they have a blog. Every two weeks they have a blog. And it's like, who's this for? Where's it going back to? How is it affecting the rest of your site? What's the, what's the action when they get there? What's the value? And that's where we come in and help them out with keyword targeting and, and co- uh, conversion rate optimization, things like that. But yeah, content generation, is, I mean, it, that's it. That's the name of the game. You have to do it. I just, I just heard a billion small business owners go, ugh. <laughs> I was so hoping Jesse was going to give us a different answer. Oh, I know. Was spoken to said content is king. How does, how does a business owner who's busy Mm-hmm. generate enough new content around their target market and product to be visible in that massive search engine of Google. Like it seems like a never ending treadmill that they need to be on, but how, how does that, how does that happen in a business? Uh, trust for lack of a better term. It takes trust because 
if you don't trust someone else to know your business, your product, your market, your messaging, as well as you do, and you, and you want to hold on to that to make sure that every plate that leaves your kitchen tastes the way that you would cook it, then you're going to have a tough time getting you know, partners and, and, and subject matter experts to, to, to work with you, to get things published, to have a cadence that you actually need to get it done. So yeah, more than, than, uh, you know, a great rate on a, on, from a freelance writer and more than, you know, even, even a great strategy from, from a great content marketing agency, you need to have the trust and the faith that these experts in these fields know what they're doing and are going to bring you the results you're looking for. Um, yeah. Is that because it, it then once you have that trust, it takes it off your plate? In other words, yeah. if, if you've got a great content generation team that are putting out incredible, as you said, incredible you know, meals over the past or whatever, mm-hmm. incredible content all the time, you don't have to check it. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's something that's just driving your brand. It's driving your, your readership, your, your search results all the time. Cool. Is there, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this on a personal level. Is there a magic bullet for SEO? Is there, can I, can I rank for a term where, and, and you don't have to give me the magic bullet. Uh, <laughs> can I rank for a term with a full page website? Like, Oh, absolutely. My favorite example of this is uh, just Google the phrase, is it Christmas? And the number one result is, is it Christmas.com? And it says no 364 days of the year. And it says yes on Christmas. And it has no other content on the entire site. Wow. <laughs> and, the, and the silver bullet there is, is if you can answer the query better than anyone else on the internet, then eventually with some elbow grease, you should be able to rise to the top. Fantastic. Um, it, right, so it's, it's all about, advice. yeah, it's how you match the, the intent of the user with your content. So mm-hmm. if someone types in, you know, again, best CRM, and you have this blog talking about why you're the best and you don't mention any of the reasons why a CRM would be good, well, good luck. You're never going to get there. Yeah. But if you can concisely, we get this question all the time. How long should my blogs be? Just alongside how much should I write is how long should they be? And the question is, and the answer is always, it depends. And the way you get your answer is you go look at the SERP. If Google's top 10 pages for your query have 3,000 words each, well, get ready. You're going to have to put in some work to outdo those pieces, right? But if your market, your competitors, your space has decided it's not worth it for us to put a lot of time and effort into these pieces and they're ranking well, well, there's a lot of opportunity for you to come in, be the de facto expert by writing a better piece. And maybe that better piece is only 500 words because everybody else has put in zero energy into actually writing a good piece. Um, so yeah, it re- really depends on the, the user intent behind that query and how well your content matches that query. You, you figure out that part of it, you're, you're in business. Nice. I like it. So uh, um, SEO itself has changed. So I, I know that uh, Directive, you guys do that combination between SEO and PPC and you kind of making sure that the, those, those things are aligned. Mm-hmm. But I know myself, having, having been in the space for, for a good number of years, that SEO itself has changed many, many, many times. In fact, right. it's probably changed since we started this interview to now. <laughs> um, what's, what's the answer there? Like it used to be that... Uh, it, Hey, just generate 10,000 backlinks and you'll be at the top. And of course, of course, Google went, um, guys, you know, stop that. (laughs) Um, is the answer. So is the answer, do you need backlinks? Do you need a, a, a mixture of content? Do you need multiple different social signals? Do you need all of those things? Do you need one of those things? What's, what's your thoughts there? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's extremely easy uh, to be very cynical in this world, in this world of, of SEO and say, well, we're just going to be beholden to whatever Google wakes up and decides it wants to do tomorrow. Uh, when the reality is Google has been very consistent from, I would say, day one, but really in the last three to five years that, you know, what we value is quality content, you know, above because what they really do, you know, Google at the end of the day, they are a product for users. So they want to make sure that when people use their product, they have a good experience. So how do you, as a person who wants to play in that space, provide a good experience? Well, your content better be good. Your site better be fast. It better not be annoying with ads that pop up and autoplay videos and things like that, right? There's all these things that that go into a good user experience. So if you if you truly think of user first content, you're gonna have you're gonna have a really good chance of ranking well. But to your point about backlinking, that's another part of it too. Because if if I built a site today that said, hey, you know, I, I I'm keep using CRM, it's just an easy go to. I have the best CRM, right? And you have a page that says, hey, I have the best CRM. And you have Forbes, New York Times, and the top 10 pages talking about the best CRMs pointing back to your website. Those are all votes. Those are all votes from the internet basically saying, this guy's got to figure it out. We want to work with that. Um, and Google looks at those votes and say, well, you're an authoritative website. A lot of people read you. A lot of people read you. We actually track to see how many people clicked over to Walter's page. When they did, they stayed there for a long time and they interact with the site. Those are all little kind of micro indications to Google that this page is probably pretty good and you're probably going to see a bump in the rankings because of it. No. But if someone comes to my site and they leave immediately, they leave me bad reviews. Um, I don't get backlinks from people. Um, all those things are, again, they're just signs to Google that there's no reason why on earth should they show my page to anyone if it's creating such a poor experience for their end user, right? They got to look out for their end user, not us. They don't look out for SEOs. They don't look out for businesses. They're looking out for their end user at the end of the day. So you have to as well as an SEO. I love it. I think, you know, regardless of the fact that we're talking about Google, one of the biggest companies in the world, or we're talking about XYZ engineering company down the road, so long as you're looking after the customer, mm-hmm you're going to get the better results. So that's a great answer. Like making sure that the customer of the content that you're producing is having a good experience with that content. And and again, it's not about 10,000 spammy backlinks from 27,000 different closed MySpace accounts. It's about, (laughs) um, it's more about the experience they have when they get to page. I absolutely love it. So Jesse, you mentioned before that you've got 50, 60 people on the team now, which is, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. Do you outsource at all within directive consulting still, or do you have everything in house now? Everything is in house. The only thing that we possibly would pair up with somebody is uh, writing content. Cause again, we, we're not experts in a lot of these fields. Right. Mm. Um, so what we like to do is we, we've built up a pretty good network over the years of, of really talented writers. We introduce them to the client. None of it's done, you know, white label. We don't anything like that. We say, Hey, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Customer, here's Jimmy, here's Susie. They're both really good writers. Here's some samples. Here are their rates. If you would like to work with them, we'd love to add them to our team to help support you in your content generation. Nice. That's it. Other than that, we do our SEO in-house, our PPC in-house, our design in-house, which really is different. A lot of people do outsource that. Um, and again, we don't do what we don't do or what we're not good at. So we don't pretend to do development work and then go hire a team in Belarus that you know is directive, but not really, right? Um, no, no, we, we try to be, <laughs> we want to be above board. We want to have a very clear and transparent you know, relationship with our clients. And how do you go about hiring the right people? Oh man, that is a, an ever evolving process. Uh, the, the, the real que- the real answer is it's not easy and it takes a lot of time. Sure. Um, you know, we, we've been spending a lot of time recently. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, who uh, it's all about hiring and, and how to find the right people for, for the job. And, you know, a lot of it is about getting away from your gut. 
and really creating rubrics and scorecards that really quantify a lot of things that you might be thinking or feeling, but actually put it on paper and let you compare different candidates to one another. So, you know, diving into actually calling those referrals, right? It's one of those things that no one ever does. They never call the references. We're calling the references. We're seeing exactly who we're going to, you know, start working with. Um, We run them through personality assessments. Uh, We've run our own teams through personality assessments, our top performers and say, Hey, there seems to be a trend here when it comes to these type of personality traits. We also run them through hard skill assessments too. Hey, I, let's say we close Nike tomorrow and they had X, Y, and Z problem. What would you do about that? Um, so we run through a, a few things plus, you know, internal dynamic, uh, sorry, internal interviews with our leadership team as well. Um, when we hire people, you know, we'd, ra- we'd much rather, you know, it sounds crazy, right? I'd rather lose a client than a customer or sorry, I'd rather lose a client than, than an employee. Um, so I want to make sure when we, when we get an employee that they are the right fit, that the right person to be on the team and we stick with them as long as we possibly can. Nice. Uh, so yeah, we, we take hiring very seriously and it is a, it's a time consuming process, but for all the right reasons. I love it. And what's, what's the onboarding process then? So here's a new person. And uh, again, coming back to you and I, our, our early days <laughs> in that retail space, training went like this. I'd love to train you, but we don't have time today. So we're going to do deep end training, stand here, serve the customer. How do you guys vary from that, Jesse? Like what's your, uh, I think I've, I've lost you, your screen's frozen there, but um, I'm not sure if you can still hear me. How do you onboard somebody once you've gone through that hiring process? Yeah, great question. Actually, we uh, I, I'm actually doing some onboarding next week and I have a very specific process and actually does start with the ethos. So I, the first thing I walk through an employee with is the history of directive. So we have a slideshow of where we started with our with Garrett, our CEO, literally driving his moped around with flyers, handing him out to try and do you know some web development work, uh, working on Fiverr, trying to sell social media calendars for five bucks, uh, really telling the story of the first client we ever had who when we went to, they were a restaurant, we went to go check out their work, uh, check out the restaurant the next day after they said, yeah, come on down and we'll work together. And the restaurant was boarded up. Um, we really try to tell the story of where we came from to where we are now to really give them a perspective of this is a really cool space that we're at right now. And we're really like everyone that's here that's been around for, you know, been along for the ride is really, really proud of the work that's been done. Uh, and also humble. We don't forget our roots. We don't forget where we came from. And we don't want people who come to organization now to just think that like, oh, I'm at this hot shot, cool agency that's yeah. always been this way. No, you got to figure out like we've, we've really had a lot of grinding to get to this point. So we start there. We start at the beginning of, of the company. Um, and then we do a breakdown by, you know, their specific role, uh, what the expectations are. We have these things called golden standards. What are the things that you should be doing? You know, what's the mantra you should be repeating in your head when it comes to the work that you do? Um, I always like to do the introductions. So I have them book time with every director to make sure they at least get some face time with them, even if they don't work with them directly, just so they understand a little bit more of the culture, especially with the remote, right? We don't all work in the same office. We have people all across the country and a couple of people around the globe. I got to make sure that people actually know who the human beings are that we work with. So yeah. a lot of it has honestly has to do with the culture before it comes down to the work. We spend way more time on the culture, spend way more time on, you know, who we work with, who we are as people, what we believe in fundamentally, our philosophies before we even get into, here's how you build a PPC campaign and here's how you do that. Um, the cool thing is we actually built our own learning management system called Institute uh, that has about 40 plus courses. So we were, you know, like most organizations, onboarding is really difficult. And it's a, if you don't make it a repeatable process, it can be very overwhelming and cumbersome. And maybe somebody's out sick or on vacation. And you're like, well, what, I don't know what we do with the new guy or girl this week, right? So we built a learning management system that we can actually run our own new hires to. It's a, it's a product that we sell. Anyone can go out there right now and go check it out and, and go get themselves you know, caught up on what's happening in the world of SEO and PPC, but also uh, acts as a great training module for our own 
uh, people that we onboard. And then we can kind of pair that with our internal clients and let them kind of take what they've learned, try out some mock projects internally, and then kind of figure out where they're best going to be suited. You know, not all SEOs are made equal. Some are content focused, some are technical, and we're going to figure that out in the onboarding process where their, you know, skill set really lies, but it's a pretty cool process. Wow. That's so cool. Like to actually, to have that, as a set process in place would give a lot of comfort, I think, to a new person coming on board as well, rather than just, hey, here's the deep end and see if you can swim. And like <laughs> having that really uh, process driven. You mentioned the institute system that you'd set up internally. Mm-hmm. Was that there when you started with Directive or is that something that you've brought in? No, we, we launched that in January. I think actually right before, right before January, I think at the end of December, we launched that. And it wow. was... Uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was a lot of work. Um, you know, a lot of credit goes to, to Brian Bowie, who runs our internal marketing, our marketing manager for Directive. Um, and we really wanted to put something out there in the world that said, hey, you know, if you wanted to learn SEO PPC right now, the really tough part is you don't know where to go, which makes it tough. And when you get there, you don't know why you should pay 10 bucks or 500 bucks or should I just watch these YouTube videos that are like 100 hours long? Like, what do I actually do? So we wanted to create something that was actionable, meaning that when you watch the, the lessons that we give you, we literally give you all the templates that we're working off of. So it's not like, hey, just pause it and like try to recreate it in Excel. It's like, no, here's the Excel file. Like, here's what it looks like. It's like a baking show. Here's what it looks like when it's done. Here's all the ingredients. And then we're going to walk you step by step to get to that final product. Um, And then we also realized that like, you know, people don't want lectures. That just doesn't really, some people do. That's their learning style. Most people, they want to get their hands on. Mm. So each lesson is actually hands on. You're going to like, if you came to the Institute and said, I'm actually an in-house marketer. I need to get this product launched on PPC. How do I do that? You're going to get your market. You're going to get your messaging. You're going to get your budget. You're going to get your keywords. And you're going to have that done within 10 hours, uh, which is awesome. As opposed to like Googling, how to do PPC, which good luck. Like (laughs) you never know what you're going to get. Wow. That's that's an incredible process. And uh, did you go back through, this is probably a crazy question, but did you go back through your existing staff uh, and reinstitute them and Mm. say, Hey guys, time to make sure that everybody's at the same level. Or did you basically say, Hey, you guys have been here with us long enough. You know what's going on. This is just for the newbies. (laughs) It's a combination of the two. I think the way we got to the Institute was taking the practices we had already been teaching all those people all along and putting it on paper, putting it in video form and kind of just creating a standard around it. But it was stuff that all those people had on our staff had already learned. But yeah, actually to your point, um, we have a philosophy internally as well called the skill pyramid, which we've outlined, you know, a good 20 to 30 things that we think that all, you know, alpha A plus amazing marketers should have under their belt. So if you want to learn PPC, but you've been SEO your whole life, well, we have this awesome institute program that you get for free just about just by being a part of directive, you can go learn the way we do PPC right now. Um, so yeah, we've wow. actually uh, been able to lean on institute as you know, if I have a performance review with someone, I'm like, hey, you're killing it in this area. Here's an area of opportunity. Here's a couple courses you can go take tomorrow that are going to get you, you know, caught up in that area. So yeah, it's actually been a great tool for, for internal existing employees as well. I love it, Jesse. I think it's great. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that there's some, some top level marketers that are listening to this right now that are going to be reaching out to you saying, hey, I want to come work with Directive. Like, it sounds <laughs> like you guys have got this stuff going on. Jesse, I, I have to say the hour that we spent, I felt, I felt like, I've leveled up. Like I feel like I've got the golden orb. I've actually beat the wizard at the end. I've leveled up in your world um, just by being able to spend some time with you. 
Guys, this is Jesse Sealand. He is the managing director of Directive Consulting, a global agency that is doing all the right things for their clients and making sure that their their people are looked after, their customers are looked after, and uh, it sounds like it's just absolutely kicking goals. Jesse, thank you so much for your time, man. I am so grateful for the chance to come and to bounce back and forth with you. I've learned a whole bunch. I'm going to be going back through with a, a notepad myself and taking notes on the interview. Um, but again, man, just I'm so grateful for the time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation, man. It's always a pleasure to talk about what you do and and what you love with someone who's actually interested. And and, and yeah, it's been great. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. And uh, guys, if you're looking for incredible PPC campaigns, search campaigns, if you're looking to get more exposure for your brand and for your company, then of course, reach out to the team at directiveconsulting.com. You can see what they do there and and run through their processes. If you're the right fit, and you'll know that as we talked about in uh, in the interview itself. But again, Jesse, you're amazing. And dude, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Walt and thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you and I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there. So you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing on iTunes. Head over there now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.